It's quite a prayer, isn't it? That's what we want, for God to reveal His glory, for God to throw the spotlight of wonder and awe and majesty on the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts as we hear His Word. As a reminder, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. As a reminder for those of you who are members of Gray Road, right after the service we will have a brief members meeting. If you're a guest with us, some places do uh, members meetings like this, and anybody and everybody's welcome. That is not the way that we do things because at times we have to deal with things that really only pertain to the, to the family of God, and we don't want them to uh, just be shared willy-nilly. So, uh, if you're not a member, we will have a brief time where you'll be able to, uh, to exit the auditorium afterwards. But if you're a Gray Road member, I hope that you have planned to stay. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verses 14 to 19, and then we will pray together. This is what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some." But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to study Your Word. But in doing so, we pray, God, that Your Word will study us that You will speak to us, we pray, that You will break the hard and stony ground, and that You will help our unbelief, that You will plant Your Word down deep in us, and that You will cause it to bear fruit, that through the preaching of Your Word today, Your glory would be revealed so that Your church will be strengthened and so that those who don't believe in Jesus will come to believe in Jesus. God, we are absolutely and totally dependent on You for what is about to happen. I cannot preach with clarity and power apart from Your Spirit's help. And we cannot receive the clear and powerful Word that You have given us apart from Your Spirit's help. And so we pray that You will work until every heart confesses Christ is Lord. And we pray in His name. Amen. Our God is a speaking God. 
You see, God created us with language so that He might communicate to us His wisdom, His truth. It's part of being made in the image of God to be able to communicate in this way. Our God is a speaking God, and He's given us His words. His words matter more than any other words in the universe. Listen to what King David wrote about God's words in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. God's words are perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous, desirable, more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the prophet says that the flower, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's words matter. They will matter forever. And He has given us every word that we could ever need in this life in the Scriptures, in the Bible. You see, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophets, and then when the prophets would go to the crowds to speak, what would be the first thing that they say? Thus says the Lord, not, I've got an idea, but thus says the Lord. God speaks to His prophets, and then they speak what God says to the people so that, and then they don't just speak it, they write it down. Isn't that wonderful? God causes them to write it down so that in the New Testament, you know what Jesus and the apostles are always saying? It is written. As it is written, it is written. And then the apostles themselves, having preached, they write. They write letters. They write accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They write a history of the church. They write a vision of the future. And these prophets and apostles write so that what 2 Timothy 3 tells us is true, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, so that while men did pick up pens and literally write the words, God, through that pen, was actually breathing out what He wanted to say, so that their words are really and truly God's words. But it gets even better because as history unfolds, God gifts and moves men to translate these words into a myriad of languages. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. So that today on your phone or on a tablet or in a physical book, which is superior, we have… see, you didn't catch that. I just threw that right in. We have 
the perfect, in, in these places, we have the perfect, sure, right, clean, pure, righteous, desirable, valuable, sweet Word of God. And if you don't know anything else, unless you've been living under a rock, then you know voices are clamoring to be heard today, aren't they? Voices everywhere are clamoring for your time and attention. But of all the voices that we need to hear, the only one we must hear is God's voice. So is it any wonder that as the Apostle Paul hands the baton of ministry to young Timothy, he would be concerned to say, to talk about faithfulness to God's Word. Timothy doesn't need to come up with new ideas. He doesn't need to go outside the box. What he needs to make sure is that the church is firmly inside this box right here. This is the box. Don't get outside it. And so that's what Paul is actually going to do here. Because one of the primary tasks of those who serve the Lord is to speak. It is word ministry. Remember the apostles in Acts chapter 6? They were going to devote themselves to the ministry of prayer and to the word. They were going to speak to God on behalf of men. They were going to speak to men on behalf of God. They're going to pray and they're going to preach. And so Paul emphasizes the faithfulness of ministry here. And here's the point. This is what Paul's saying to Timothy. You ready? Speak God's word faithfully. Speak God's word faithfully. Now, there are four aspects of what it will look like to faithfully speak God's word in this text. I'm just going to use one word to summarize each one. Most of them are right there. You just read them. The first one is remind. Remind. Remind them of these things. You see, life as finite human beings in a world full of distraction, living lives full of responsibilities, jobs, school, recreation, everything else, requires reminders. Some of you have your weekly schedule maybe magnetized to your refrigerator, or you have a chart for your children that tells them which chores, reminding them each day which chores they ought to do. Or you use a sticky note to remind you of what you need from the store. Or you, your phone is set to ping at some point to remind you not to miss an appointment. Now, if we need reminders for tasks, how much more do we need reminders of the truth? If I'm going to forget to pick up mustard on the way home, how much more important is it that I remember my master? and what he has taught. That's what Paul's saying the church needs. He says, remind them. Say the same things over and over. Bring their attention back where it needs to be. Let the preaching of the Word be like the gentle hand of a parent that turns the child so that he or she focuses where they need to focus. That's what the preaching of the Word should do for us. And as dealing with the child is so true, you have to do it over and over again, don't you? 
And that's what the preaching of the Word should do, that this is what, the wor- this is what living in the world is like oh, every week, isn't it? It's like, whoa, hey, hey, hey. And then the preaching of the Word should be the gentle hand that comes along and says, no, 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 look to the Lord, reminding us of what is true, reminding us of what never changes, no matter what changes in our world. Timothy should find that he's repeating himself all the time in part because the Bible carries the same themes from beginning to end. It teases them out. These doctrines get fuller. But we find God, the sovereign God, the sovereign Creator, the one who speaks and things happen in Genesis 1. We find man created in the image of God, sinning against the Lord. We have the promise of God to send a Redeemer. We have the reality that sin brings separation from God as Adam and Eve are cast out. And from there, we see a testimony to the sinfulness of sin over and over and over again and the mercy of God over and over and over again. We see that God will call a people to Himself. We see that God will set up sacrifices so that the people can make atonement and be right with Him. And ultimately, those atoning sacrifices don't actually take away sin, but they point to one who will. And it just gets bigger and bigger until the glory is the fullest on Calvary with Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, shedding His blood, bearing our sin in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Just this week, out in the parking lot, we're, our seller, we just bought a new house. We just moved in a couple weeks ago, and the, the, the seller was in such a hurry to get out, he left things. He left some things that have gone straight to the trash, but he left some things that, that we've been able to sell. And just on Friday, I sold an anvil. I had no idea people still used anvils. I thought the Roadrunner was dead a long time ago. But I have this an, we had this anvil in our garage, and... And uh, apparently there were like seven or eight people in line to, to buy this thing. So I come, and the guy's name was, uh, well, I won't tell you his name in case he shows up, but he said he was going to show up. I don't know if you're here because I can't see very well. But what I'll tell you is that we started talking, and I said, what exactly does one do with an anvil? And he tells me. And then he said, now, are you the minister here? I said, well, yeah. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, Sure. He said, I went to a service at a, Je- at a Jehovah's Witness place, and they don't have the cross up anywhere. What's up with that? Well, I have to tell you, I never answered his question. I blew right past it and just preached the cross to him right there in the parking lot. And I told him what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, which is that God laid all our sin on Jesus Christ. You see, This friend, this dear man who wants to do good with his life said that his one law is just do unto others, and he just figures that if if he does enough good that he hopes he'll get in. And I just told him, friend, all our good deeds are like filthy rags, which is literally like used menstrual cloths. How useful are those to anyone? No, 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 no. You see, God laid all our sin on Jesus. 
And He took the full weight of the wrath of God on the cross, and in exchange, when we trust in Him and His sacrifice, all of the perfect, sinless righteousness of Jesus is credited to me so that when I stand before God, I do not stand on my own merit, because if I stand on my own merit, I stand on quicksand, and I'm going under, and I'm going far. But if I stand on Jesus Christ and His righteousness, I stand on the rock that cannot be moved. And I can know, even now, that on that day, the declaration of not guilty will stand, and God will welcome me into everlasting glory. That's good news. That's what we need to be reminded of, isn't it? Aren't you tempted to think that if you have a good week, God likes you more? Aren't I tempted to think that because I shared the gospel in the parking lot, God must like me more now? Isn't it possible to start to think that if I don't do so good, if I miss an evangelistic opportunity, if I didn't read my Bible as much as I should, that somehow God loves me less? No, 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 no. Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. Remind them. Of which things, Paul? Well, I just wrote them down for you in verses 8 to 13. Look up at verses 8 to 13. What are you to remind them of? Well, the big idea is this. Remind them of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remind them that He didn't just die as a martyr, He he was raised as a victor over sin and death. Remind them that following a suffering Savior is going to mean suffering in this life. Remind them that if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Remind them of these things, Timothy. Remind them they have to endure. Remind them the danger of denying Him. Remind them, remind them, remind them. I need to hear this regularly, and you need to hear this regularly. And if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to hear it right now. But know this, if you will turn from your sin and trust in this one who has taken the sin on himself and died for it, if you will trust in him, trust in his sacrifice, trust in his blood, all my trust is in your blood, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. If you will cling to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you will be saved. And that is glorious. No matter what happened this last week, no matter what happens this next week, no matter what happens for the rest of your life, you'll be in the secure hand of God and He will bring you home. You need to be reminded of that. And so do I. There's no crack in God's hands through which we can slip. He's got us. And He's got us because of Jesus Christ. Does He have you? Does He have you? If not, there is no hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus. Remind them of these things. The second word is in verse 14 also, which is charge. Charge them. 
Charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Now, this charge is less like a military charge, like, uh, you know, it's less Aragorn before the troops, right, before they're about to battle the forces of Mordor. It's not that. This is a solemn, serious warning, and it becomes even more serious when Paul adds two words, charge them how? Read it out loud. How? Before God. With the full understanding that God is in your midst, Timothy, charge them not to quarrel about words. Now, wait a second. If people are twisting the truth, shouldn't we engage them? I mean, after all, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12 to fight the good fight of the faith. At the end of this letter, reflecting on his life and ministry, Paul will say, I have fought the good fight. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Well, what I would suggest to you is that Paul is not saying we never engage in a battle, but there is a particular kind of battle that we ought not to engage in that we ought to stay away from. It's this quarrel about words. He doesn't give us any more information, but if you turn one page backward in your Bible to 1 Timothy 6, you'll find the only other place that this word is used in the New Testament. But it's not used as a verb. It's used as a noun in 1 Timothy 6, verse 4. Paul speaks of one who has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. There it is, quarrels about words. Well, apparently, first of all, I mean, just ask yourself, reflect on yourself. Do you love controversy? Do you love mixing it up? Going toe-to-toe with people? Pulling out the old, big old boxing gloves? Going a few rounds? He says, this guy, this guy loves controversy. He loves a quarrel for words, but I didn't read the verse prior on purpose, but it tells us what is motivating this man. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels and for quarrels about words. The quarrel about words is motivated by opposition to the truth. It's not a wrestling with the truth to try to understand it. It's not someone who comes to you with an honest question saying, I don't understand how this could be true. There is a way to ask about the problem of evil where you want to understand it, and think better about it. And there is a way to ask about the problem of evil because you're just trying to poke the bear. You see the difference? It's kind of like, you know, where Proverbs says that you should engage a fool according to his folly, and then in the very next verse it says, don't engage a fool according to his folly. It takes wisdom to know how to engage here. But this guy 
wants to fight against sound doctrine rather than to understand it. Now, those quarrels may feel quite invigorating, intellectually stimulating. They may be quite just downright fun. But he says, Timothy, warn the people who are listening to the words, don't you get involved in it. Why? Well, we keep reading. It does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Haven't you known that experientially? Have you experienced people who just simply want to be antagonistic toward the gospel? Have you experienced that even when you speak the truth, it's not like you're breaking through anything? They just get harder and harder and fiercer and fiercer and madder and madder. It's not that their hearts can't be broken through. It's that maybe we need to spend more time talking to God about this person at this point. We need to ask the one who can actually break up the stony ground. You remember what Jesus said. Don't cast your pearls before swine. What did he tell the disciples when they went to a town and they wouldn't listen? Did they say, just look, just keep going. No matter how much they fight you, you just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's one thing for this friend to not understand and keep asking questions and not get around to it. It's another thing for someone to just grow and grow in antagonism. And what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Shake the dust off your feet. Doesn't Paul do that? Paul does it in the book of Acts. Look, we are going to be opposed. There are people who are going to struggle. In God's glorious grace, there are going to be people who are absolutely opposed, like the Apostle Paul was, for whom there will be a breakthrough of God's grace. But we have to have wisdom to not get involved in these matters. Put a big sign over the door into those kind of arguments that says, Do not enter. And we could talk about any number of issues that actually distract us from the gospel, couldn't we? There are a number of cultural conversations going on right now that are worthy of careful thought, that are worthy of godly discussion. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about people who are going after the gospel. But I would just say, as a matter of dealing with these distracting things, just pay attention to how much your conversation is about the Lord Jesus during the week. How much are you actually talking about the Lord in relation to these things? And how much are you only talking about horizontal matters? We need to be careful thinkers, godly speakers when it comes to every conversation that may rise and fall in our culture. But friend, did you know that you could actually convince your friend that you are right on this issue of personal liberty on the, or on this issue of injustice or on that issue of whatever, you could convince them and they could be... Per- they're like, You've, you're right! And they could just walk off and go straight to an eternal punishment in hell because you didn't give a rip about their soul. All you cared about was winning the argument. Boy, we need help for this, don't we? 
because some of us are quite angry. Quite angry. But it's not all righteous anger. Charge them not to get involved in quarrels. It's dangerous stuff. Calvin said, It is natural amidst disputes to lose sight of the truth. And Satan avails himself of quarrels as a presence for disturbing weak persons and overthrowing their faith. Quarreling about words is not just a waste of time. You will waste away as you do it. It ruins. That's the word we get catastrophe from. It ruins the hearers. Number three, teach. Now, I know the word's not there, but that's what Paul's getting at in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who need, has no need to be ashamed. The right, rightly handling the word of truth. The rightly handling there is the Greek word orthotomeo. Ortho is a prefix that means straight. So, you know, we talk about orthodontics, right? We're talking about getting our teeth straight. Even orthopedics originally wasn't about knees and shoulders and all that. It was about helping children who had curvatures of the spine to be able to straighten up. So, children, pedic, straighten, ortho. Okay, we talk about, uh, when we talk about doctrine, we talk about orthodoxy. We're talking about straight, having a straight right opinion on things. That's what orthodoxy means. So when Timothy stands before the church, he says, basically, you need to take the Word of God and you need to get it straight. You need to cut it straight. Don't mess around. Don't get cute. Don't overcomplicate it. Just cut it straight. Just lay it out there. You go to some restaurants. You order a steak. You don't even know what they did because whatever came out on this plate, this is such a fancy restaurant, it comes out, it doesn't even look like a steak. It's drizzled with this and that. It's got different things. It's got a piece of a radish on Who wants a radish with their steak? That's ridiculous. Take that off. I just want a steak. So you shove all of that aside, and then you get to what you're at. And Paul's saying, don't, don't drizzle. Don't do your garnish. Don't do all of that. Just put the steak on the plate and give it to the people. That's what he's saying. Put it right out there. But people like drizzles, don't they? People like the drizzles and the radishes and the pretty plates. Well, they do in preaching as well, but Timothy, you cut it straight. I mean, just as the Old Testament prophets heard from God and then spoke for God, you go into the study, Timothy, and you hear from God in His Word and then get up and speak accurately and plainly. That's what we need today, isn't it? My call isn't to stand here week by week and give you my words. You should not spend three minutes trying to figure out what I think on anything. My words are like the grass and the flowers. They fade. The church needs no single man's words. The church needs God's words. So it is my call to get alone with these words and through prayer, and through meditation, and through study, to listen to the voice of God speaking in the written Word, and the words that I heard in the study should be the words that I speak in the pulpit. You see that? 
So that when we walk out of here, nobody's talking about how clever the preacher is, how powerful the preacher is. What we're talking about is what God said. That's what we should walk out saying. Did you hear what the Lord said today? And any pastor or teacher who does that, Paul says, is a worker who has no need to be ashamed, no reason to blush, no reason to cower, no reason to hide our head, because we've simply said what God says. I'm not throwing my opinion out there to see what you think about it. I'm just to say what God says, pray that God will drive it down deep into our hearts and then step down and get ready for the next time I stand up here and do it. That's what I'm to do. And that man who has no need to be ashamed, keep going backwards in verse 15, is one who is approved by the only one whose approval matters. The Lord, 2 Corinthians 10, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. A friend of mine, she was young in in her face. She asked me one time if I ever got nervous when I got up to speak. You know, did I ever get nervous about how you would respond to how I speak? I told her I, I probably have at some point, but I, tell you, I told her, I said, I'll tell you what really concerns me. What really concerns me is not what John thinks. It's not what Kyle thinks. It's not what Justin thinks. It's not what Lyle thinks. It's what the Lord thinks. That's what really concerns me. He said I should stand up and say what he says. Sometimes I step on my own toes, you see. (laughs) I'm not just up here to step on yours. I don't actually make it my aim to step on your toes. There's 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 no inherent good in a preacher getting up and determining he's going to step on toes today. That's not my call. What's my call? Say what God says. Rightly handle. Cut it straight. Don't mess around. Don't wander. Don't get off course. Cut it straight. And this takes work. That's why he says at the beginning of verse 15, do your best. Be diligent. Be focused. Laziness will never produce a right understanding of God's Word. Laziness will... Look, gifting is great, but the gift of teaching is both a gift and a skill. It is a gift that God gives and enables, but it is a skill that He means to be developed over time. That's why... Timothy's supposed to keep a watch on his life and on his doctrine. That's why people should be able to see his progress, according to 1 Timothy 4. So if you were here on October the whatever, when I first stood in this pulpit, I hope that there's some kind of observable progress. If not, we should have coffee and you should tell me, because I need to be making progress. Teach, Timothy. Speak God's word faithfully. The last word avoid. Verse 16. This is basically the opposite. This irreverent babble is basically the opposite of a right handling of God's Word. Irreverent babble in the NIV is translated godless chatter. It's basically removing God from the handling of God's Word. That's what irreverent babble is. It is the exaltation of human opinion. It is the approach that I come on Monday and I think, I know what I'm going to say to the people this week. Now, where's my Bible? I'm going to find something that says it too. I'm not going to have any regard for the context or the meaning of the words or what God may be meaning to say, but I've got something to say. That's irreverent babble. 
We need to avoid that. It's actually the essence of a false teacher, isn't it? The exaltation of human opinion above God's opinion. That is false teaching. It's false teaching. That teaching may gather a crowd. It may gain notoriety. It may earn a book deal for the preacher, but it won't produce godliness. Look what it produces in verse 16 and 17. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, the death of body tissue because of infection or because of the cutoff of blood. I mean, that's what false teaching does. It infects. It cuts off the life-giving truth from our souls. And then he gives an example here in verse 17. These two rascals, Hymenaeus and Philetus, are saying the resurrection's already happened. Not the resurrection of Jesus, but they're saying the resurrection that Jesus promises for all of us. And maybe they meant it was some kind of spiritual resurrection, or it was more an enlightenment of greater knowledge, which becomes uh, Gnosticism in the second century. I mean, people did this in the 19th century, too. I mean, they, they would talk about uh, Jesus actually raised from the dead, that Christ is just raised in our hearts. This is godless chatter. I mean, they basically thought they had a better idea than Jesus did. And their better idea, their deep thinking, is just drowning people's faith. It says that they are upsetting the faith of some. They're taking faith that stood upright, and they're turning it upside down. Avoid that. It may build a following, but it'll butcher the church. Remind, charge, teach, avoid. Do these, Timothy, and you'll speak God's Word faithfully. Now, we didn't look at verse 19. It is worth your time. Paul's telling, basically telling Timothy that he need not be concerned that even though these teachers may flourish, God knows who's His. God's firm foundation, His pillar and buttress of truth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will stand. So you just keep speaking God's Word faithfully. Now, you may hear all this and say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not even a, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I, I don't think I teach anyone. What, what does this have to do with me? Well, first, as Christians, it's, it is important to understand what the Bible says that our pastors ought to be doing. You should know what to expect when, you, when we gather, when we come to preach and to teach. You should expect that the man who stands here will say what God says. But secondly, the truth is, is that all of us are called to speak God's Word in one way or another. Parents must speak it to their children. We speak it when we share the gospel with others. According to Ephesians 4, we speak the truth in love to one another to strengthen and build up the church. So as you fulfill your speaking role in all the relationships that you have, you should do these four things as well. Remind them of the gospel. Charge them, warn them about getting sidetracked into useless, godless, anti-Christianity arguments. Handle God's Word faithfully. Handle God's Word rightly. Teach. When you go to post whatever it is you're going to post this week, you're going to post something about the Lord, you're going to post something about the Lord somewhere, 
Dear friend, you better make sure that you're speaking what God says and not your idea on it. Because the friends who know you as a Christian should know that you speak as a Christian. Even if you're not speaking of Christian doctrine, they should read you speaking in Christian ways. And avoid. Avoid irreverent babble. Avoid exalting your own opinion. Where will it get you? Get you way off track, way out in the weeds somewhere. In other words, as we go from this place, as we speak to our spouses and to our children and to our friends and to the watching world, we should do what Paul tells Timothy to do. Speak God's Word faithfully. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You have spoken to us, that You have given us Your Word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, which is perfect and sure and true and right and desirable and sweeter than honey, and in keeping it is great reward. Oh, Father, help us to keep it. Help us to keep it in our own lives and help us to keep it as we speak to others. Help us to be those within this church body who remind and charge and teach and avoid. Help us to be those when we engage in our, with our unbelieving friends. Help us to not give up on reminding them of eternal truths. Help us to heed the warning not to quarrel about words. Help us to handle your word rightly and to cut it straight. And help us to avoid irreverent babble. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.